My name is Nathan Fair, and this is Debating for America's Youth. Today, we are back with another interview. This time, we're interviewing Thomas Chung. He is a rising senior uh, in high school, and he was a PO in the House Congressional Finals, and he ended up getting third in the entire House. Hello, Thomas. Hi, I'm glad to be here. So I would like to start off with the first thing. So um, I have one of the most popular video on my YouTube channel is tips for being PO. And since you've done so well as PO, what are some tips and strategies that you've used to like be an effective presiding officer? Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a couple of things you can immediately do to strengthen yourself as presiding officer. Um, the first thing is definitely be on top of your parliamentary procedure. Um, obviously, you need to know Robert's rules of order and how the chamber is going to run. And I'd say the best way to do that is just get more experience in Congress. Um, you're going to read a lot of things about how to run the chamber, but it's really hard to just imagine those things while you're reading some sort of tutorial if you haven't actually been in a Congress round. So before anything, before you try to PO, I would at least be in a couple sessions of Congress to at least get the flow of how things are going on. Um, but additionally, on top of that, I would be very effective in your method of keeping precedence and recency charts. Um, some POs like to use things like computers and apps so that they can go faster. Personally, I don't do that. I just use the traditional pen and paper, um, and it seems to have worked out. But if you can find your own system to keep precedence and recency, and you can memorize those recency charts, you'll stand out from a lot of POs because you'll be able to call on people faster. So I PO'd at uh, CFL, like just the prelim nationals mm -hmm. chamber, and that was the big thing for me. I had to like look through the list and look at everyone standing up, but I guess if you can memorize it, yeah. it becomes faster. Was that like a practice skill, memorizing the charts, or did you were you just good at memorizing things? Um, honestly, I developed the strategy mainly this year. Um, I started thinking, what if I just memorized the recency charts? And specifically, I did it for questioning. Because in the national final, you have to create you have to create two recency charts, one for speeches and one for questions. And because the questioning one always updated, I knew that I wouldn't be able to go as fast unless I did some sort of memorizing. So what I would do is I would look at the first five names of the questioning chart and I would go around the room and memorize what order those names in. And I would look at the people geographically. And if they stood up, then I would know that immediately they would be called on. Um, if you go to the NSDA video, you can actually see me looking around the room, um, and that's what I'm doing. I'm just memorizing names while people are giving speeches. Yeah, I mean, I watched a little bit of the live stream, and you did a very good job at effectively, like, looking at people and choosing people. So I thought that was really amazing. Um, and so, like... You were a PO, and in, at least in my like district, like local district, usually POs are placed in the top eight, but usually not very high. Like, how do you stand out as a PO? Because I know a lot of times it's hard to be a PO and also stand out for the judges because you're not giving speeches. Yeah, definitely. So I would say chamber presence is very important, um, just generally, even not even when you're POing. Um, as a speaker, your ability to have that active presence within the round. Um, so I would say what did that for me in the national final was because I did small things like enforcing the 30 second time limit, for example, um, with direct questioning. I was very, very strict about it and people noticed that. Um, so you want to do things like that. You want to have procedures that'll stand out. Something else that I did different from other POs is instead of doing the soft tap and direct questioning at 20, I did it at 25 and I explained why that would help. And I think just small things like that, small differential changes in your procedure that could make the round run all the more better will make you stand out from other POs. So when you're going into, when you, 
I mean, broke to finals round of Congress. Were you planning on being PO, or is that something that you just like decided like at the competition, or what? What was your thought process there? Yeah, so it was funny. I told my mom right before I left from Arizona, Mom, if I have the chance to run for PO and in the final round, I also get the chance. I will definitely do it because presiding that round would be really cool. Um, so I definitely had it a little bit in my mind before I entered the tournament, but I wasn't really expecting to make it to finals, to be honest. So when I found out I made it to finals and when I found out that I would be eligible to run as PO because you have to sign a form um, if you PO other rounds, you have to sign a form if you want to do it later. Um, so when I found out that I had the opportunity to do it, I was completely ecstatic. So but to get there, you would have to PO in prelims and quarters and semis and then finals, right? Was that how it had to go? Yeah, so you have to do every single round preceding and every round you have the option to sign in or out of it. So you can pick, if you, if you break, for example, from quarterfinals to semifinals, you can choose not to do it anymore um, or you can choose to keep doing it. Um, all the way to the final round. Do you enjoy being PO more than just being a member, like the a regular member of the Congress, or how do you feel about that? Um, honestly, at times, yes, it is more interesting to be a PO sometimes because, you know, sometimes in prelims, for example, you might not like pieces of legislation and you'll be able to PO and run the chamber instead, so that's fun. Um, but sometimes as a PO, honestly, I do feel as if I am missing out on speaking, um, which is why next year I'm going to mainly focus on speaking instead of POing anymore. Um, so honestly, I, I don't know because POing has its own interesting experiences, but as a speaker, obviously, you're doing something completely different, right? You're not running a chamber. Instead, you're giving arguments for pieces of legislation. You don't have to really worry about parliamentary procedure as much. Um, so I would say both of them definitely do have their positives and negatives. So um, on like your local circuit, do you generally switch out between the two or do you focus on one? Yeah, so on my local circuit, that's how I mainly practiced as PO for the national tournament. Um, I spent a lot of tournaments POing um, throughout my freshman, sophomore, and junior year. Um, however, yes, there are many, many rounds that I was speaking, probably more rounds speaking than I was POing. Um, just because of the amount of Congress tournaments I've been to in Arizona. Makes sense. Like, there's someone on my local circuit, at least, who their focus was on POing. Like, that's mm. what they're, that's what they really enjoyed doing. And so they spent a lot of the tournaments just POing. So I just didn't know if that was, like, what you focused on or, or what. And so when you're a normal member of the Congress, what, like, strategies or tips do you have for someone else in a Congress chamber who's, you know, outside of being PO? Yeah, definitely. So if you're trying to become a speaker and you're not really POing, um, what I would definitely say is start off by researching the legislation, obviously. Understand the legislation in its entirety so you understand the arguments that might be presented. That'll help you build very good arguments in the future. But another thing that I would add to that is also be adaptable with those arguments. Um, a lot of people come into Congress with their speeches immediately padded. They know exactly what they're going to say. And, you know, this could be a good thing if your argument doesn't get stolen, but if it does and you give a speech that's the same exact as somebody else's, you sound like you're rehashing and you won't be able to stand out. So I think the best way to stand out into Congress is to be ultimately very adaptable, um, be able to adapt to your situation, change your arguments when you need to, address other representatives because that'll make you stand out in the room with that clash, um, and just do things that the judges will be able to notice you for. Um, even if you're put in a tough situation, that that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense. 
Um, how, for you, how is nationals, how do you feel like nationals was different than like your local circuit tournament besides for like, like you had to qualify and all that stuff. Like did, did you research differently for it? Did you ask questions differently? Did you feel like, or not? Um, well, a lot of my coaches always tell me, you know, that once you get to the tournament, there's really not much you can do. So don't try to, tra uh, change your own style. Um, just play how you always played. Um, so for me, Arizona Congress is actually very similar to National Circuit Congress. And the reason for that is because we have many great coaches, um, such as Kevin Burlap, Brittany Sanchez, people that have been very involved on the National Circuit um, and that we have great connections to. So luckily, Arizona Congress is actually very similar to National Circuit Congress. So I didn't really have to worry as much about things like changing my style, um, appealing to judges, etc. I think that I was very lucky that I've grown up in an area where Arizona is very similar to NSDA. Um, so you, you've been very successful in Congress, obviously. Have you done any other events besides for Congress? Um, yes, I've done PF, Extemp, and Impromptu. And you like Congress more, I would assume? Um, yeah, definitely. Congress has a special place in my heart. Why would you feel like that is? Because some people, not me, obviously, I'm a Congress debater myself, but some people say, like, talk about how Congress can be, like, sessions can be, like, boring and stuff like that. Like, what would be special to you? Yeah, definitely. People always say that Congress is more of, like, a speech event um, in the sense that people often don't interact with each other. But I think to some, like, the reason why they say that, I think that there's some benefit um, of Congress having that freedom, right? Your ability to choose what you want to talk about in a speech. The reason why I like Congress so much is because I think it makes me the most open advocate for a different variety of issues. Um, things like public forum, they only have one topic per every one or two months. But at one Congress tournament, we'll debate over 10 pieces of legislation. We'll be able to talk about a lot of issues and I can have different advocacies on every single one of those issues. So I guess what makes Congress really special to me is the fact that I'm able to talk about a lot of things in a short time period, learn a lot of things and interact with more than just two opponents. I'm able to interact with a chamber of 30, for example. Um, so just getting able to hear those different voices, getting able to see those different advocacies is something that's really unique to Congress, in my opinion. I totally agree. And going off of something else, like what you said earlier about Congress not being a speech event, there's also a difference between giving earlier speeches and later speeches. Yes, in earlier speeches, you may have more of a canned speech, but once you start giving later speeches, you have to use refutation. You really have to clash with people, as you were saying before. So I feel like a lot of people don't understand that like once you get like later on in the session, it gets really like it's a debate event. But yeah. if you give first speeches every single time, yeah, you're going to be more like a speech event because you've you know wrote them before, and also the judges don't really seem to be interested if you wrote all your speeches you know before the tournament. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. So you're going into your your senior year of high school. Are you excited for doing speech and debate, especially because you've got so accomplished your junior year? Um. Yeah, definitely. I think my senior year will hopefully be my best, and obviously last year of competition. Um, I'm ready to be on the circuit for one last time and hopefully make even more friends and do even more competition. So yeah, I'm very excited. Do you coach at your school, like the Congress students or not? Um, yeah, I definitely have helped a lot of the incoming novices into our team. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something that I've done in the past and will continue to do. Just coach all the new people.
Yeah. So for someone who like coaches in speech and debate, what strategies do you use to help like new people in speech and debate kind of like learn about speech and debate? I mean, obviously going to tournaments is important, but what would you do as like a coach? Like what strategies do you know or what do you pass on to your new novices? Um, so, yeah, definitely like in terms of maintaining interest within the programs, we like to do things like have team social meetings all the time. Um, even outside practices, we like to go out to different places so that we as a team maintain that bond, maintain interest within the activity. Um, but in terms of actual specifics of speech and debate and practicing there, we like to do a lot of things like speaking drills at practice so people can maintain their fluency, um, education briefs so that we can get people to understand topics, um, just topic lectures, things like that, um, researching together, um, practice Congress sessions, Everything like that we are able to do and we always do within practice. Um, I think it's equally important to teach about speech and debate, but also to maintain interest within your own team. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Sometimes like if you if they don't come back, you're not really helping them. So yeah, I totally agree. You have so you have enough people to do practice congress sessions? Um, yeah, when I say that I say that very loosely because when we do practice congress sessions, it's usually only about like five to six people. Um that's usually enough for us to go for at least a little bit and get at least some sort of refutation in there. Um, so while they're not obviously completely realistic Congress sessions, um, because I come from a pretty small school, um, we're still able to have refutation, uh, still able to practice the Roberts Rules of Order, um, just essential things within Congress, things like that. Uh, so going back to being in that final round of Congress, so you had to get like chosen between like what you're saying, four people, right? Mm-hmm out to the other Congress members? Did you talk to them? Did you, like, what did you say in your speech that really stood out, like, that made you stand out from other people in that room? Um, well, I think, well, because we didn't really get speeches um, on, as the whole chamber to explain why we'd be the best candidate. Um, I would say what stood out for me was probably my presiding period, um, because all of us got about 30 minutes of an audition um, and I was the first one to go. I was the very first PO right off the bat to start the session, to call it into order and start calling speakers. Um, so as a result of that, I was able to be very efficient and very fast within my presiding period. Um, and I think that got a lot of people to vote for me. But additionally, a lot of the final round people were in my quarterfinal and my semifinal um, chambers. And because of that, they were able to see my PO in there. And I think that they trusted me more, mainly because of the fact that they were in my previous rounds, um, knew that I was efficient enough to run the national final, and as a result, they voted for me. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I guess yeah, if they see that you're a really good presiding officer, they're going to choose you um, for the final round. Um, so Congress finals, or Congress, like, throughout the entire tournament, from prelims to finals, had different questioning, like, times, like, between direct questioning and indirect questioning. How did you adapt your questioning style between the two? Yeah, so definitely keeping questioning in prelims, where they only do the standard popcorn questioning, is much easier than keeping direct questioning, because when you have only the popcorn questioning, you only need to be looking at precedents. Um, it's not required that you keep track of recency. So what I did in prelims for that sort of questioning is I would just call on questioners and all I would do is mark a little tally mark on their seating chart. Um, and you really don't have to pay attention to it that much because it's very obvious, at least in prelims, um, when a questioner is supposed to get it. It's very quick to look at your questioning chart and see which one has the lowest amount of tally marks. 
Um, and considering that you don't have to keep track of recency, um, you can pick on basically anybody who's tied for, for example, three questions when that's the lowest amount. Um, so for prelims, questioning wasn't that bad. Um, but again, for direct questioning in out rounds, as I said, for my strategy there, I would always memorize the names, look around the room, make sure I knew who was getting called on. Um, so that precedence and recency really didn't become an issue. I didn't have to get point of order, things like that. What about when you were a speaker? Because you got to do some speaking times throughout there. Like, how did your question, like you asking questions change between the two? Yeah, definitely. Um, so when you're asking questions in prelims, this is a common mistake a lot of people make. They tend to ask leading questions um, to the to the question to the person answering the questions, um, but that doesn't really make sense in prelims because they can't respond longer than one question. In Congress, when you're in that prelim round, you're only going to get one question at best per speaker. Um, so what I would do is just be very direct to the point in prelims. Um, just ask what you're trying to get out of them. Don't ask a leading question like a yes or no question. Um, because they'll just answer yes or no, and then it'll be awkward because they'll move to the next question, and then your issue won't be resolved. Um, in direct questioning, though, I think it looks very good if you're able to ask those leading questions and get that logic chain going. Um, because it shows the judges that you understand what you're talking about. You understand a logical progression of thought for your argument. And it's a way to demonstrate yourself in cross-examination as a better speaker if you're able to demonstrate that you can follow those logic chains. Um, but in prelims, because you can't do the back and forth, obviously, that doesn't really work out. That's, that's, that sounds good. So when you're giving speeches, do you usually give speeches more in, like, the beginning? Or you were talking about how you like to use a lot of clash. Or do you give more, like, crystallization speeches or somewhere in between? Like, when you're giving speeches, where do you usually place yourself? Yeah, my favorite strategy in Congress is to give the first sponsorship or authorship and then later give either a crystallization or a half refutation speech. Um, so what that means is I'll speak first on the first piece of legislation, which means that on the second one, I can literally speak anytime I want to. I can pick whenever I want. I don't have to worry about my recency or about arguments getting stolen. Um, I can stand whenever. Um, that being said, though, I like to do a variety like that crystallization or that rebuttal, um, mainly because of the fact that if I don't do it, like you said, I'll be giving too many of the same speeches um, and it won't really look good to the judges if you're not adding that refutation in that clash. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds good. Like having a, especially giving like the first speech on the first bill, you have that flexibility as you're talking about. And, and then you can possibly, like I saw someone in prelims, they gave that first speech on the first bill. And then after that, they're able to give three speeches while most people are only able to give two in prelims because mm -hmm. they had that flexibility as you were talking about. That's a really good strategy. If you could say something to, like, the speech and debate community, what would you say to them? Because, like, this is a question I've been asking a lot of different people who I do interviews with, and they have a lot of different answers. So if you could say, like, one thing or a couple things, what would you say? Yeah, I would definitely say that this activity gives as much as you put into it. Um, a lot of people within debate lose motivation very quickly, very early on. Um, but my coach always tells us that failure leads to success. Um, and the reason why he says that is because every single one of us, every single national finalist ever um, has gone through a lot of failure. Um, as a freshman, I know how hard it was to face failure. Um, I know how unmotivated I felt sometimes because of a tournament result. Um, and whether, you know, you're somebody that has faced a systemic issue within our debate community as well, that might demotivate you. 
um, we have to realize and understand that failure will ultimately lead to success, right? Um, you get as much out of this activity as you want to put in. Um, your ability to overcome challenges directly comes from you. Um, this activity gives us all a voice, and I think it's a great activity. And in order for us to be successful at it, at, at it as a community, uh, we need to all come together, all give ourselves that voice, um, and all push forward. Yeah, that, that's a really good. That's a really good point. Yeah, I I felt very discouraged sometimes in like a speech and debate tournament, like you were saying, because of results. But I guess if you keep pushing through, you can learn like from your mistakes. That's a really good point. Absolutely. Um, well, so much for doing this interview. It was great talking to you. Yep. Uh, and I hope you have a great next season. Hopefully, I'll see you next year. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah.